In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Thank you. Today we heard the story in the gospel of the rich young ruler, a man possessing many things in this life, but wondering how he could possess salvation. It's interesting that he asked the question as one who had many possessions. There is much that I have, but what is it that I lack? What is it that I lack so that I can add it to what I already have in order to obtain salvation? And Christ said, it's not what you lack, but it's what you have (laughs) that you need to rid yourself of. And it calls to mind for many of us who are familiar with the lives of the saints and of the Desert Fathers, the story of St. Anthony the Great. St. Anthony was in church and, and he heard this story from the gospel. After the death of his father and his mother, he was left alone with one little sister He was about 18 to 20. And on him the care of both his home and his sister rested. And it was not six months after the death of his parents and going to church that he communed and reflected as he walked how the apostles left all and followed the Savior. And how in Acts they sold their possessions and brought and laid them at the apostles' feet for distribution to the needy. And what and how great hope is laid up for them in heaven. So he pondered these things and he entered the church. And it happened that the gospel, this very gospel from Matthew 19 was being read. If you would be perfect, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. Come follow me and you shall have treasure in heaven. Anthony thought... God put him in in mind of the saints and the passages had been read on his account because he was asking these questions. He went out immediately from the church and he gave the possessions of his forefathers to the villagers. 300 acres. Can you imagine? Productive and very fair, it says. That they should be no more a clog upon himself and his sister. And all the rest that was movable he sold. And having got together much money, he gave it to the poor. Reserving a little, however, for his sister's sake. And we love St. Anthony because of his radical response to the call of the Savior to abandon all in order to follow him. But of course, this reading is not about a universal call of everyone to sell all of their material possessions. But it's about overcoming idolatry. An idol is something created that we've allowed to take the place of God. The, the Greek word for worship, latria, latria, worship. We have proskineo, which means venerate. Venerate, like we venerate the icons. We've even venerate, honor one another. But we, we only worship God. And so that latria or latrevo, I worship, is meant uniquely for God. So we worship none other but God. So idolatria is the worship of something other than God. 
And the way we give attention to things, priority to things, is by the way that we treat them. The way we prioritize them in our lives. I like to say that the way we give preeminence to certain things in our lives. And so we give something the place of preeminence. And there are many forms of idolatry. And most are quite subtle. The rich young man was likely lauded in his life and esteemed for his virtue and success. You must have done something right. Or, as we like to say, God must be blessing you. You're so blessed because you have so much. How about, I'm so burdened, I have so much, I don't know what to do with it. (laughs) That's an interesting quandary that many people have. We have too much these days, and we're always trying to get rid of things, while at the same time, constantly trying to possess more. What a predicament we're in. But he was likely lauded for his success in life. Likely a lovely man, and perhaps even a generous one to some extent, but even... And one who, but one who allowed his possessions to inhibit his entrance into the kingdom of God. And he asked a very personal question and a good one. What must I do to have eternal life? And it seems that there would be no better question to ask. This is a good question for us to ask. But we should only ask it if we're willing to run the risk of receiving the response. And alas, this rich young man seemed to want affirmation or perhaps a good challenge. What could be difficult for a man who has observed the commandments faithfully from his youth and especially one who had been blessed with many riches? Maybe he was expecting to hear something like, just keep doing, keep on keeping on. Keep doing what you're doing. Or maybe give a little bit more money, just a little more money, you know, to the poor. Or marry a moderately attractive young woman to round things out and start a family and lead them into righteousness as you know how to do. You've proven that you have this ability. Little did he expect that the response that he would receive from Christ would be a devastating one. Sometimes the idols that we have in our lives are quite obvious and we need to deal with them. We need to sell them off. And consign them to the nether regions and invest not one more moment in them. Sometimes they're more subtle. And only revealed by way of intense self-examination. And not always even by, by self-examination alone, but also by hearing the truth that is being spoken to us. Someone says, you're really impatient. No, I'm not. That was a pretty quick response for someone who's impatient. I mean, someone who is patient, sorry. You know, I mean, we need to be willing to be humbled by the truth. And the truth that is truthful will reveal that which we've given preeminence to in our lives that is in opposition to the capital T truth, to the preeminence of Christ in our lives. What is most important. Sometimes our idols are veiled in our lives and protected behind a sense of obligation and responsibility. Sometimes it's those things we say, I have to, I have to fill in the blank. 
So yeah, I'm, ob- I'm obligated. But I have to really means like I'm choosing to very strongly, actually. Sometimes our idols are hidden behind the veil of willful ignorance. Just cho- choosing to be ignorant about the reality of things. And unwilling to hear the truth, like this rich young man in today's gospel reading. But often, whatever they may be, they're coupled with a sense of pride we have in them, or a fear of losing something, resulting in a lack of willingness to let go. Either we're proud of what it is that we have, because we feel like we deserve it, it's owed to us, it's a part of who I am, or... There's insecurity or shame associated with it that keeps us from wanting to reveal our level of attachment to something. Even our sinful behaviors are like that a lot of times. I don't like what I'm doing, but I don't want to talk about it. We think that there are certain things that define us. and We might even sometimes call them blessings. While in our hearts, we know that something's wrong. This is an incredible and challenging lesson because in reading it, we're beckoned again ourselves to stand before God in fear and in faith, asking honestly, what must I do to have eternal life? Or by extension, is there anything that I value more than eternal life? And what is eternal life? Not just to get to live forever, And eat whatever you want without getting fat. (laughs) Sorry. Eternal life is to be in love with Christ. To give kingship and preeminence to Him. Who loves you more than you could ever imagine. And you'll spend forever, if you so desire. you spend all of eternity coming to the unending realization of His love for you. But is my love for other things stronger than my ability to trust that God's love is even greater than anything I could ever possess, hold on to, define myself as. So this question, is there anything I value more, is one that we have to repeatedly ask throughout our life. Salvation is a process of coming to the realization of these things one after another things that we've put between ourselves and God. So it must be our constant concern. And it's not one that has only one long-standing answer, but usually many answers over the course of our lifetime. And I'm inspired by St. Paul's fixation upon the gospel in today's epistle reading and his concern with the preeminence of the gospel. The gospel by which you are saved, he says. And reflection upon this theme of the importance, the preeminence of the gospel in our lives leads me to consider the question, how can I become more confident in putting the gospel first in my life? Despite my lack of knowledge and despite my insecurities. And then I came upon the beautiful words from the contemporary St. Paisios, the new of Mount Athos, who says this, and this is a, a consolation to those of us who are always trying to learn, who want, who want to, to go deeper. 
but also those who struggle with the realization of the limitation of our knowledge. He says, we do not need great knowledge to be devout. If we concentrate and meditate on the few things we know, our heart will be spiritually embroidered. One may be profoundly affected by a single hymn, while another may feel nothing. Even though he may know all the hymns by heart, as he has not entered into the spiritual reality, read the Father's. Even one or two lines a day, they're very strengthening vitamins for the soul. I like to tell people, you can read a million pages of spiritual literature. Yay, I read a million! But have you read a million and one? See, you could always, or a million and two, you could always read more. So it's not in the quantity. But maybe, like this is why one of the elders of the church said, read one page from St. Isaac the Syrian every day. One page, no more or no less. One page is all you need. So this is our approach to coming to the knowledge of God, not heaping up more and more. What else can I add in order to be saved? How about give gratitude for God to God for what you already have and give away what you don't need. Be generous what you have. Because what you possess isn't truly your own. It isn't. And he who dies with the most toys still dies. Isn't that true? They're like, well, his children get it. They get to fight over it. Well, we're talking about what defines us. So along with continuous reading of the gospel throughout our life, the depths of which we will never plumb in full... I want to offer this reminder. One way that we can constantly recall the preeminence of the gospel is very, a very simple one. Very simple. is by using the Jesus prayer in our lives. The Jesus prayer, which itself is a, is a little distillation of the gospel and its teaching. It's such a powerful dis- distillation that saying it, saying the simple prayer... Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, initiates even the simplest of people into the divine mystery of God's self-revelation. While also calling down the lofty from their ivory towers. Sure, you've read many deep theological works, but can you say these few words and say that that's enough? In all simplicity, To stand in awe before God without impressing yourself or without being overburdened by the reality of your own inadequacy. But say these simple words, this simple distillation of the gospel and focus not only on the meaning, but on the person to whom you are praying. The Lord himself, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. The prayer is so simple, yet it's incredibly profound. The church sees it this way in both its content and its effect. And I want to talk a little bit about just the, the meaning of this prayer. Because some people go, oh yeah, that's just, that's your thing. Or that's, they'll say, vain repetition. 
Okay, it is repetition, but it's not vain. I'll tell you that. It's awesome repetition. It's beautiful simplicity. Just like saying I love you to someone over and over again and really meaning it. It's not vain repetition. Calling upon Christ as the God-man and beseeching His mercy has no vanity in it whatsoever. Unless you're trying to count milestones. Then, okay, it will become vain. But let it not be vain if you approach it with the right mindset. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. So first of all, to say Lord is to proclaim the divinity of Christ. For there's only one Lord, God Himself. So when we call upon our Savior as Lord, we're proclaiming Him to be both Lord and God. And there's no separation between the two. And we know in the New Testament, the word Kyrios, Lord, in Greek, Kyrios, is the, the Greek word for Adonai, which is used in the Old Testament Hebrew for Yahweh. Yahweh, you couldn't say the name of God, so He was referred to as Lord in the Old Testament. Y-H-W-H, was the, you know, they, they were given the initials, the consonants, but not the vowels, because God is so great, He can't be encompassed by words. So they used a good word, they said, Lord, because you're in charge of everything. Adonai, Kyrios, Lord, and so calling Him Lord is a reference to Him as God. And then we call Him Jesus, which is the name given to God by Joseph. As the Gospel states, You shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. When we call out the name of Jesus, we do it as those who are being obedient to God, because, again, He was instructed, You shall call His name Jesus. We're being obedient to God, who's given us that name by which to refer to Him. It's an act of faith. In the one whom we believe saves us from our sins. And to call him Christ is to admit that he is the fulfillment of all longing, the Messiah. Christos means anointed one, the Messiah, the Holy One of Israel, the Savior. Whatever we're looking for and hoping for, desiring, thirsting, and hungering for, can all be satisfied by the reality behind this proclamation that Jesus is the Christ. He is salvation. He is the Son of the living God. And we call Him Son of God. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. Calling Him Son of God is an attribution used throughout the Gospels to proclaim the identity of Jesus. In the words of the Holy Apostle and Evangelist John, Who is He who overcomes the world? But He who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And one of the reasons that title was so scandalous to so many was because to be called the Son of God meant that you were from God and to become from God means to be of Him, of the same things that God is. To be God of God. It was a, it's a proclamation of the divinity of Christ. And then the cry for help comes, have mercy on me. It's the cry of one who's, who is bound by necessity. There's such a sense of need. Yet realizing that there's no purpose, there's no meaning or salvation in life apart from the very source of life. There's a bunch of stuff, but what is it all for? 
What is all this stuff for in our life? It's not an end in itself. I'm in need of mercy. I'm in need of the oil of God's presence and the grace of the Holy Spirit. And these inspired words are drawn from the lips of the Lord Himself. In the parable of the publican and the Pharisee, Jesus put these words, have mercy on me, in the mouth of the publican as a model of repentance. Jesus was telling a parable and teaching us how to pray. The publican, he says, beat upon his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Luke 18. So if the Lord himself provided this prayer as a model of humility in the parable, then it's a model we should emulate as a prayer that we should make our own. We also hear many crying to Jesus, have mercy in the Gospels. This is an authentic prayer. Have mercy, have mercy on me, have mercy on us. It's an inspired prayer and it's a genuine cry for help, for love, for healing and for salvation. Well, simultaneously, it's a proclamation of our belief in God as Trinity. Because we have the Father and the Son, when we say Son of God, there is no Son who doesn't have a Father. So we're proclaiming that there is a Father and that there is a Son. Where's the Holy Spirit in this prayer? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. How are we proclaiming our belief in God as Trinity? Well, we remember the words of the Holy Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, who said, No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there in all humility, kind of incognito, if you will. But there, we're uniting ourselves to the Holy Trinity by simply saying these Beautiful words, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. So how complete and how practical, how lofty and simple is this beautiful prayer. Even children can do it. And how wonderful it is for us who desire salvation. And who call upon the name of the Lord. How blessed it is for us to use it. This prayer is so complete that... If you read the lives of many saints and spiritual fathers and elders, those, they just refer to it as the prayer. Say the prayer. We're talking about the Jesus prayer. In the life of the church, we're encouraged to use it frequently, to do it a lot and desperately because we are constant, we're always in need of God. The soul is always thirsty for the presence of God. And we say it as those who want, who desire to adhere to the preeminence of the gospel in our lives. What does the gospel teach? What is it all about? How does it work? What's its content? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And the more we pray using these profound words with faith and simplicity, the more Christ comes to be formed with us. Especially if we pray them as if we're whispering right into the ears of Christ, as St. Nectarios has taught us. The Holy Trinity makes the broken vessel of our being an abode of the Trinity. 
And as we hear the teaching of the church and its call of every person to engage in the prayer of the heart, not just of the words, but the heart gets involved. We strive to do this, then the gospel does become spiritually embroidered upon our hearts. I like to think that perhaps after I die, maybe, the coroner will investigate and find the words of the Jesus prayer written there. What does that, that say? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me? Huh. Maybe they'll find it there. Maybe not. But more important than that is that I become a living proclamation of the gospel. That I live it out. That the words become inscribed upon my being. That with each heartbeat, it's like a syllable of these sacred words is being pronounced. Whether blessed or cursed with earthly riches, whether granted the difficulty of poverty, I will not be deprived of any good thing as long as I have the freedom to call upon the name of the Lord. This is a wealth that cannot be taken away. One that is true and not fleeting. One for which it is worth selling any other possession. So beloved in Christ, today I'm encouraging you, if you didn't get the gist already, to continue to practice this prayer. And if you haven't even, if it's new to you, then begin. Sit down simply in one place and quiet for a short time. And say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Children can say it. Families can say it together. Do it as you're laying down to go to sleep at night. If you have, use the prayer rope. And talking about the origin of the prayer rope is a different homily. But you can use the prayer rope as a way of engaging your body. And a way of keeping track. Like, okay, I'm going to do one, one prayer rope right now. To say the Jesus prayer. And then I have some other things I need to do. Take up this prayer. Form the words on your lips. Replace meaningless preoccupations with its recitation. Interrupt the wanderings of the mind with frequent, if not constant, remembrance of God. Set time aside to use this precious prayer. Hear the words of St. Simeon of Thessaloniki. Speaking of the Jesus prayer, he says, This sacred prayer, the invocation of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, is a prayer and a blessing and a confession of faith. It is productive of the Holy Spirit. It's a dispenser of divine gifts. It's a purifying of the heart. It's a chasing away of demons. It's a dwelling of Jesus Christ. It's a source of spiritual thoughts and reflections. It's an infirmary of bodies, a dispenser of divine enlightenment, a fountain of God's mercy, a distributor of revelations and divine initiation in humility and the only salvation. For even salvation bears in itself the name of our God, which is the only name invoked on us, that of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And our salvation is in nothing else.
That's a good sales pitch by St. Simeon for saying the Jesus prayer. And he knows by experience. So I end with these simple words. May our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, have mercy on us and save us. Amen.